Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hello, and welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. We're here today with YA author, pioneer, and multi-decorated Newberry author, Avi. I'm Jenny. I'm Marcy. Hello, Avi. I'm Avi. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited. Thank you. And what can I tell you? (laughs) Well, obviously, YA is something that's very hot and very talked about these days. But you have been writing as a YA author for a really long time. What is it? What is it like being at the forefront of this? Of being one of the well, people who started it. Let me first of all, I didn't even know what the term meant. <laughs> and secondly, it's a shifting term. When I before I made a living as a as a writer, I worked as a librarian. Oh. And and I once uh, applied for a job and they as a children's librarian, because that's where my interest was. And they said, well, uh, we only have a position for a young adult librarian. And I said, but I don't want to work with adults, whatever their age is. <laughs> now, that, now, that's an indication, A, of my ignorance, but also uh, it was a term completely new to me. And so I didn't know what it means. Uh, and then it's further complicated because the term has shifted. Um, when I first published a book such as um, The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle, it was perceived, as I recall, as a young adult. But these days, it's read in elementary schools, lower elementary schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't quite understand that, but that's the reality. So it changes all the time. I'm not sure I know what the term means anymore. That's a good point, actually. I work at a children's bookstore, and we definitely do mm-hmm. shelve Charlotte Doyle in the in the middle grade novels. I think it has a lot there to do with the YA books tend to have older themes, which is a funny thing to say because I know Charlotte has a lot of like murder and danger and things like that, but no sort right. of like emotionally romantic charged right. scenarios. Right. And and then uh, it's my understanding a lot of, uh, say, adults over 21 years of age anyway are reading YA literature. Isn't mm-hmm. that correct? Oh, yes, yes, definitely. So, so, so that confuses things even more. (laughs) Yeah. And there's plenty of books that have teen protagonists that aren't young adult books. Correct. Um, And so it, it, sometimes it, it gets a little murky. And I don't, uh, when I sit down to work, I'm not thinking I'm going to write a young adult book or a middle grade. I just write the book I have in mind. Mm Mm-hmm. And other people put the labels on. You know, I'm not sure many authors could pull that off, but I think that with your body of work and how each book is so distinct, it makes sense to do that anyway. The book that's about to be published is called The Button War. Uh, It's a Candlewick book. Uh, I don't have any idea where it will be placed. It's, it takes place during World War I in 
uh, Eastern Europe, and it's about uh, how uh, kids, a, a group of boys, get caught up in the war. Now, it, it, there's nothing funny or romantic, um, but it, it and it's in some ways very harsh. Mm-hmm. I, I have no idea how people will perceive this book. None. But uh, okay, a book that I published last year called The Unexpected Life of Oliver Cromwell Pitts. And it tells a story set in the 18th century uh, about a kid who gets caught up in the legal system and criminality in England at that time. Now, the second half of that book deals with his transportation as punishment to the American colonies. And the first book, uh, there was a lot of response about um, his good humor, his optimism, his cheerfulness in the face of all kinds of perils. Now, here in the second book, he is a transported convict who's being sold into a kind of slavery. And uh, he, indeed, in the story, becomes attached to uh, another slave, but a, but a black slave, and how they... they and, 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 and at some point, I felt compelled, because it's a first-person narrative, to say, this book is not going to be cheerful anymore. <laughs> and it goes forward with... Uh, some really difficult moments. So again, I have no idea how it will be received. Mm-hmm. No idea. Well, and that's um, and then Charlotte Doyle. That's something that I thought was super interesting. Um, reading as rereading as an adult, seeing those themes of, you know, Zachariah is a black man, and Charlotte mm-hmm. Doyle actually has to deal with that as an issue, with the reality of right. that. Um, that she has more but, mobility. But, but, but let me mm-hmm. interrupt. Yeah. yeah. But let me interrupt. He pushes that that agenda. Yeah. He, he Zachariah, as a black man, likes to point out that he is the only black man on the ship, mm-hmm. and she is the only female on that ship, mm-hmm. and they therefore have much in common. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So. So that's a whole, uh, people don't mention that very often, but it's key to the book, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, particularly the conversation they have when she's in the brig and he's hiding um, about how they're going to work together to get out of this and the strengths of each other to get out of this. Um, That's an amazing, amazing thing to have in that book. I always wondered about Charlotte. Like I always felt like she made the best and only choice available to her. But I always, as a kid, wanted to know what happened to her when she grew up. <laughs> she was a pirate. That's well, I know. But like, what kind of a lady pirate? Like, no, she's well, not a pirate? Okay. Yes, no, but, that, but the reason, I, I, first of all, A, I don't know, and B, <laughs> I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Because what you're saying is many people have said, well, what becomes of her? Mm-hmm. But I've always felt that the book is about her learning to make choices mm-hmm. and and I don't want to make that choice for her 
because I think it would diminish the book. I agree. I always like, I, I wondered, but I enjoyed wondering if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I have that freedom right. that, that I can decide Correct. in my head what Precisely. she went and did. Um, right. After right. being right. told that she was unnatural and she needed after this big adventure right. and learning so much about herself that she needed to contain herself and be kind of right. reprogrammed that she took to the seas. Right. By the time, um, Charlotte Doyle was in print. I had already written uh, nothing but the truth, and um, knew exactly when it was going to be published, which was within twelve months after. And I will tell you true that when I heard that Charlotte won a uh, Newbery honor. My first thought is, good, they will not be able to ignore nothing but the truth. Because I had, again, no idea how that would be received. Mm -hmm. It's such an unusual, it's, it's, it's a very unusual book in many respects. I took the uh, Newberryana for Charlotte as a, as an, just what I said, that people would pay attention to nothing but the truth and turns out I was right. Um, yeah, so nothing but the truth. Um, the structure is so interesting. And um, I felt like I was reading a play. I know it's called a documentary uh -huh. novel. Um, right. Do you, do you have experience with writing plays? When I uh, began to want to be and practice being a writer, uh, my primary ambition at that time starting as a, a teenager, was to be a Broadway playwright. The first part of my writing career was writing a lot of bad plays. So, so yes, there is a theater background. But, uh, but that's not really, well, in part it comes from that. Uh, it's a complicated story. Um, when I was rereading Nothing But The Truth, what stood out the most to me was that this is really the first description I, I know of in popular culture of something going viral. Um, is it weird to have sort of come up with that and now to see it become such a commonplace occurrence? Shall I tell you the truth? Yes, please. Until you said that, it never, it never occurred to me. <laughs> well, when I was, I mean, I've read it, of course, many times when I was younger, but I hadn't reread it as an adult. And when I read it, it was, it was sort of shocking that I hadn't realized that before. Um, but it, I mean, that is what it is. And it was so interesting. Well, it's, I've never thought of it that way. So are you a clairvoyant <laughs> or are you a time traveler? <laughs> uh, I'm lucky. <laughs> I, I don't know where that comes from. I have no idea. No idea. But it, it, it has to do with understanding how rumor and um, pop culture works. Um, that's probably more of what I was thinking and how mm -hmm. politics and uh, conspiracy politics works. I don't know. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. The odd thing about that book is that... Uh, it was one of the easiest books I've ever written. So, so much so that I began to doubt my own senses 
and did something that I almost never do. I sent half of it to my editor, Richard Jackson, and said, does this make any sense? And he said, absolutely, keep going. Hmm. So I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Is it... Is it hard to sort of resurface after you've been writing one of your books? I mean, the voices are so specific, and it feels like you must really just get into the mindset of that book. Is it hard to come out of that? I I find it's hard to come out even after I read a book like that. Um, By the time I've finished one book, I'm already working on another book. So um, I, I can't really answer your question because... Um, it's just the way I work. Um, when people who have asked me that question, what I like to, particularly if I'm talking to young people, I, I point out to them or ask them, how many subjects do you take in school? And they'll say four or five. And I said, do you ever confuse your math work with your history class? And of course, they'll say no. And I would suggest that's more like it. You just get into a book and it's that book and you're not anywhere else. That's all. That said, sometimes I catch myself because I work and write a lot that I realize, oh, I use that phrase. I use that metaphor in that last book. I mustn't use it again. And I hope I get that right. You've written so many historical fiction books, and you've mentioned in other interviews Correct. that you read history just as a matter of course. Um, I was wondering, mm-hmm. what's what's the most interesting bit of history that you've witnessed in real life? We were talking in a previous episode about how we had seen things like the, the Challenger explode. Um, and I was just wondering uh-huh. what, what stands out in your life that you you've mean seen. mean things that I've actually seen that I've put in a book? Not even in a book, um, just in, in life. Well, I would say the closest thing is a book called Catch You Later, Trader. And that is uh, more about things that happened to me than any other book I've ever written. And it deals with growing up uh, during the McCarthy era in the 1950s in New York City and being surrounded by all the paranoia and uh, the questions and fears about that time. And there are any number of incidents in that book that are based on things that really happened to me. Yes, I was just reading um, another interview you did where you talked about how the FBI actually came to your house. Yes, that's right. That's that's true. Uh, On the other hand, for example... uh, I was really a reader to a blind guy, Mm. the way it is in the book. But what's interesting, I mean, this is partly an answer to your question. Uh, I had this job, and I got it through being a Boy Scout. And uh, I read to this guy, and his name was, in fact, Mr. Smith. But I thought I couldn't use that book. It's too... People wouldn't believe it, almost. And, um, but in no way whatsoever was I close to the, to the real Mr. Smith as the boy is to the blind guy in this book. 
In other words, uh, all of that is truly invented. And I find that uh, one of the most interesting parts of the book, mm-hmm. his relationship to the blind man. Mm-hmm. It's almost a metaphor for the book. Mm-hmm. But but that's a, you know, or, or his friend Kat in the book. I really love her, and I don't know. I didn't know anyone like that. Mm-hmm. No idea. So, what's real and what's not real experience? I can't say, can I? It's hard. But a lot of that book is real. And your father was actually accused of being a communist, correct? Correct. How yeah. scary. Well, you know, it's funny when you think, well, that's a whole other different discussion. You live in the midst of all this. And uh, believe me, that that he was accused as such was not scary to me as the FBI guy who came to the door Mm -hmm. when I was home alone. That was that was scary. I guess as a child, it's a a lot more immediate. (laughs) A stranger at your door. Right, right, right. No, I remember that quite vividly, really. And 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 there's a line in the book where Cat says to Pete, uh, "If the communists took over your country, you, your parents would be pretty pretty good shape, or something like that." A, a, a friend of mine actually said that to me. Oh my god! Um, and completely. It, there's two parts of that. It completely stunned me that the remark, but in no way did it alter the friendship. He was my best friend or something. Uh-oh. And it, it just was, you know, in retrospect, he was just saying uh, it was casual. He wasn't, he wasn't accusing me of anything. He was sort of chatting mm-hmm. and in no way did it alter our friendship. It's curious. But that's all in retrospect. Well, the highest compliment I've ever gotten on that book is a parent told me that her child was, her daughter was reading the book and she came to her mother book in hand and said, mom, did people really think that way? And uh, I, I really like that comment, it made me feel I had done my job because this girl understood she was reading about a different time and place. And uh, that gave me a lot of satisfaction. I did really also enjoy the uh, the importance of words in that book, just like the power of words, how words written on a cross, you know, could completely alter right. not only one person's life, but the entire you know, area of the country or how words could keep someone alive in the case of, of priests. It, it was so uh, perfect for the book and perfect for writing in yeah, general. I'll tell you a story about that. I had written a first draft of that book and there was no mention of the lead cross in it at all. But I went to England to do some research for the book and was in the British Museum and saw a whole display of lead crosses. And I went and rewrote the whole book 
with that as a part of the focus. It wasn't in the first draft. Well, on a completely different topic, we um, were wondering if you remember how how was the experience of getting the Newberry call that you had won the Newberry medal? Oh, that's a funny story. Um, that um, Newberry was awarded uh, at midwinter, as it always is, and the uh, ALA gathering was in Philadelphia. And most unusually, um, I was there. Hmm. But I was there and to promote another book, and I became extremely sick <laughs> with a terrible, terrible uh, flu. And uh, I would go down to the floor in the conference and do what I had to do, and then go back to my room, hotel room, and get under a blanket and shiver. Oh. Uh, I was miserable. And uh, I, um, as soon as I could get out, I fled home to Denver and left Sunday afternoon. The next morning, uh, I was... Uh, as it were, at my desk, still quite sick, but my daughter had asked me to review her uh, essay, you know, college essay, and I was working on that, and the phone call came that I had won the Newberry, <laughs> and the call came from Philadelphia, of course. <laughs> So then all this stuff happens that you know about. And then two days later, I suddenly said, wait a minute, I was really sick. What happened? <laughs> and the answer is, the answer is I had won the Newberry. <laughs> and, and so what I tell people, if they're really have a case of the flu, win a Newberry, it cures it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a true story. I mean, really, it was amazing to me. So, you know, the call came and getting the Newberry was a complete surprise. I had absolutely not the smallest thought that that was even possible, much less likely. It's a complete surprise. Um, so that's something that we're also curious about. So there wasn't, you hadn't heard any buzz um, or any nope. rumors or nope. anything? Wow. No, no. Uh, the In the world, my experience with publishing, mm -hmm. the only time that I ever heard that kind of buzz was for a book that won nothing. Oh, wow. Which and one that, was that? That was the book, The, the Barn. The book called The Barn. My, uh, I was told that I would win a Newberry for that. Uh, my publisher believed that I would win a Newberry and let it let me know that they thought that and that I should prepare myself for that. Mm -hmm. uh, people on the Newberry committee hinted that to me. 
They're not supposed to. That seems dangerous. But they did. But they did. And, but I hasten to say the book uh, won nothing, wasn't even a notable. So, um, so, and yet I personally, I think it's one of my very best books, but anyway. So for the, the honor calls for Charlotte Doyle and nothing but the truth, do you remember where you were for those or what was going on with Um, those? The Charlotte one, I was at home. I was living in Providence, Rhode Island at the time. Uh, nothing but the truth. I have no memory whatsoever of receiving that information. None. I do think it's so interesting that Charlotte Doyle was the only honor book that year. That's correct. That's correct. And so well-deserved. I've been reading that book since I was 10. I love it so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes I I get annoyed by that book (laughs) because... Well, because you know it, it, it's um, it's so very popular, and, and I'm so much associated with it. And I mean, I'm really glad that I wrote that mm-hmm. book, and I'm proud of it, and all that. But I, in some ways, I think I've written better books than that. But uh, I don't, you know, it, it's I wrote that what twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and um, I like to think I I still get better, or maybe I don't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you're reading public, um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Uh, Natalie Babbitt was a very good friend of mine. Oh, we were v- really close when I lived in Providence and she lived in Providence. And one day, um, I was telling her, um, you really should write whatever it was that she was talking about. And she said, why should I write another book? Everyone thinks I've written my best book, Talk Everlasting. Nobody will think I'll ever write anything better than that. I don't want to write anything else. She really said that to me. She did write some other things, but uh, I know in her heart, she thought that it was in some ways, it didn't matter. Nobody would think of what she did as, as good or better than Tuck Everlasting. And maybe that's accurate. But um, when you're a writer and you keep writing, you don't want to think that your best book was written 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so you keep working and you push that away a little bit. Mm-hmm. But these days, actually, in terms of popularity and sales, nothing but the truth um, sells more books than Charlotte Doyle. Oh, that's interesting. But I think, but I think it's because there's been a resurgence of interest in that book because of the current political situation. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. I have no way of knowing that. Mm-hmm. That's just a guess. You know, it's complicated. Like Crispin, I think, is a very good book, mm-hmm. but the second book in the series, I think, is better than Crispin. But that's just the writer talking. It doesn't really matter what I think. It really doesn't. Of course it does. This stuff is born no, from your head. <laughs> no, it, 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 you know, you publish a book, it now belongs to readers. It no longer belongs to the writer. Oh, Truly. so um, is it is it Bart that talks about the death of the author? 
Uh, does he say that? I don't know. I think, that, I think it's context? him. Yeah. The idea that once you've created something, you don't have ownership over it anymore. And the way it's interpreted or received is, um, is wholly up to the reader. And so correct. I, you have I no control. You have George no claim on it anymore. Right. I, I read something similar to that by George Eliot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's true. You know, it's, it's, you know, when I look at any of my books, and I really don't like to look at them again, because I will always, always find things that could have been better. Mm -hmm. And that's frustrating, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it really is. So I, I, it belongs to you, not me. <laughs> uh, I think it was when I Nothing But the Truth uh, was given, the award was given to me in San Francisco, is that right? <clears throat> I'm not sure. Anyway, my son, one of my sons was living there. And so, of course, I invited him. And uh, this guy is covered with tattoos, <laughs> which I don't like, <laughs> but that's who he is. But anyway, he, he was going to, come up to my hotel room and I had rented him a tux for the thing, right? So we were dressing together. So to prepare for this, I had gotten a whole bunch of fake tattoos that I stuck on my arms and back. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't going to say anything. I was just, you know, casually going to dress. <laughs> and the, as that happens, all he said to me is, Dad, that's all fake. <laughs> so what's your memory of the Crispin Newberry ceremony? Your speech was lovely, by the well, way. Oh, well, um, a number of things. That was the SARS crisis. It was held in Toronto. And there was everyone, that, that illness called SARS Mm -hmm. So attendance was well down, well down. But the the high point of that particular thing is uh, the people at Hyperion, the marketing people. Uh, there was a, the head of marketing was a, a guy named is a guy named Angus Killick, who's now a vice president at Macmillan, and his assistant, uh, a woman named Scotty Bowman. Uh, to, anyway, they were to, they were wonderful people, and they have remained very good friends of mine. But what they organized uh, in Toronto for a party was they rented a boat, uh, you know, some sort of uh, to, uh, I don't know what kind of boat it is for people to go out into the Lake Erie, right, and cruise around, I'm sure, for parties and things. And, and that's what this was. And in the midst of this party, Angus. Well, maybe Scotty says, look up. And they had arranged for an airplane to be overhead at this moment, skywriting, and it said, congratulations, Avi. It's spelled out. Wow. <laughs> How many times, you know, people talk about their names and lights. I had my names <laughs> in clouds. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a thoughtful gesture. It was wonderful. And, of course, it floated away like all fame does, right? But for a moment there, my 
name was in the cloud. So that was fun. That's really cool. <laughs> it was, it was, it was. Other than your own, what are some of your favorite Newberry books? Um, I won't pretend that I've read them all. No, of course um, not. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of my favorite. Um, well, you know, Catherine Patterson's books and so forth. And big impression on me. But the others mm-hmm. read them. But, uh, I mean, Maniac McGee, of course, I read that and so forth. And the other one that won the Newberry, then I won, uh, what was it, the... It's one about the dog. I forget it. What was the title? Shiloh? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, these Newberry books are good books. <laughs> they're never bad books. So they're all good. And uh, I've enjoyed them, but they don't ring out to me as such. So I can't really answer that question. So you mentioned the button war. Um, is there anything else you want to tell us about it? Um, I mean, you mentioned the about the you know the plot but when is it out i think it's officially published in june okay in june middle of june so yeah i'm very curious to see how it's received it's gotten some good reviews already advanced reviews wonderful we'll see we'll see i never know anyway i'm working on other stuff so of course you're gonna you're gonna round 100 not too long from now I hope not. It's sort of <laughs> vaguely embarrassing. It's embarrassing to have written so many books, I must say. No, it's a wonderful. I f- well, I feel sort of vaguely embarrassed by it. <laughs> May we ask why? It seems excessive. <laughs> to- you have to remember, for many years I was a librarian, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm a librarian. But you, you t- okay, well, mm-hmm. does the world really need another book? <laughs> the answer is... The answer is always yes, mm-hmm. but somewhere you have to think, wait a minute, there are all these other books, <laughs> <laughs> and you have to say, what am I doing adding another one to this wonderful world of literature and books and so forth and so on? I mean, one of the things that's really wonderful about the world of children's books is um the writers, and I know many writers and so forth, um, by and large, we're a fairly likable bunch. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a facetious way. And we like each other. There's not a lot of competitiveness mm-hmm. in, in ways that I've seen it in the adult book world. The idea that any child would only read only my books is such a piece of nonsense. And I wouldn't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. So that I think we're part of a community that understands we are in the service of kids and are there to amuse, entertain them and teach them, I guess. And we're all part of the same project. And I think that's a wonderful kind of thing. I think, you know, as I said in that Newberry speech, we do good, by and large. And Lord knows in this world to say we do good is is a lot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) isn't it? It is. It really is. Okay. Okay. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so so much. much. 
Thank you for joining us today on the Newberry Chart Podcast as we spoke with the amazing Avi. We'll see you next time. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.